Finding the right jeans is hard. Accepting your jeans is even harder. Whether you wear boyfriend or bootcut, high rise or low rise, this podcast will teach you to love the jeans you are in. I'm Rachel. And I'm Tina. And we're going to use modern research to bust diet myths and get real about body after baby. We're going to take you on a journey of unpacking your old beliefs about food and weight so you can learn to nourish your body and raise body-confident kids. So put your booty in a chair and let's talk mom jeans. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Mom Jeans. Today, we are discussing your food and feelings. Last episode, we chatted about your food intake calories, and how to be a normal eater in order to try to help you mamas simplify food. And today, we are going to chat about how our emotional states complicate our relationship with food. Obviously, this is my jam, and I'm so excited to dive into this. Tina and I are going to share some of our thoughts on this, and then we have an amazing author and psychotherapist named Karen R. Koenig, who will be joining us to share her expertise. Tina, can you review for us real fast what normal eating is? In case you missed it, normal eating is coming to the table hungry and leaving when you are full. It is eating what is satisfying. It is sometimes eating more and sometimes eating less. It is trusting that your body will make up for your mistakes. And Rachel and I defined that, what mistakes really mean in uh, the last episode. It is taking up an appropriate amount of brain space, but not taking up all areas of your life. It's emotional eating, logical eating, and physical eating, but most importantly, it is flexible. Food is often a coping mechanism for emotional upheaval. Normal eating does include eating for pleasure or eating for comfort, so we are not saying that this is bad. Where it gets confusing is when we have lost our connection to our bodies because our food has become so much more than fuel. Yeah, I get the question a lot from when people find out what I do for a living. My mom friends will be like, well, is it normal that I'm just sitting there and eating all the Girl Scout cookies? Like, ha, ha, ha. Or like, oh, is it normal that I just totally can't stop eating at Thanksgiving? Like, I get that it is funny and normal to have this emotional eating relationship. And at the same time, what we're going to try to break down for you mamas is what that fine line is. So... I agree that the loss of our connections to our bodies is exactly how we stop eating for physical nourishment. There's also the component that when we eat, certain areas of our brains, specifically the reward system, are triggered so that our bodies can register if that food is pleasurable. This relationship between our mouth and our brain is where food becomes more than just a relationship between our mouth and our stomach. So I'm personally very grateful that food is enjoyable and that our brains have a say in our food intake, but I also know that this is exactly why food can easily become a tool to use to deal with uncomfortable emotions. So Tina, let us know your take on the fine line between emotional eating and then dysregulated eating. This is such a great question. I often find that a lot of my clients really struggle with accepting that emotional eating is okay and it's something that I actually recommend. But where I think the line is crossed is when we are eating as the only coping skill we have in our toolbox or if we are so dysregulated that we're not feeling like we are choosing to eat for comfort. You're trying to use food to cope with the emotions, but really the food is not what you actually need. There's moments where let's say I'm like, hey, I 
feel sad, so I'm going to eat a cookie because I know that that's going to make me feel good. And I eat a cookie, I feel better, and I move on. But if I find that I'm sad and eating a cookie and then reaching for ice cream and then eating some pie and then having a sandwich and then so on and so on and I still feel sad ultimately there's something in that we maybe need to do something else and so when those are having dysregulated eating maybe they're not fully aware that the food and the emotions are extremely enmeshed Um, so In my eyes, emotional eating, when we're choosing to do that, serves a purpose and then we can walk away. Dysregulated eating or emotional eating without coping skills is not connected. It's chaotic. So Rachel, what do you think the fine line is between emotional eating and dysregulated eating from that therapeutic view? I find that the answer is how to find balance. So when a mom is using food to fill more than her belly or avoiding food due to her high levels of stress, then she's lost the balance in all areas of life. So my challenge to you listeners, are you flying by the seat of your pants in your relationships and mothering, and then also in your meal prep and food intake? Or are you a rule follower with all the parenting books and volunteering at all the class parties, and then also following all the diet rules and all the exercise regimens? I often find that as moms, we finally get to nap time or bedtime and quote unquote Netflix and chill takes on an eating element that is clearly more than just fulfilling a physical need or softening a slight emotional exhaustion. It's okay if food occasionally becomes a source of comfort or unwinding, but if it's a regular go-to coping mechanism to dealing with chaos, then it becomes dysregulated eating and dysregulated living. And I think, Tina, your example of I eat one cookie, my brain receptors say that feels good, the serotonin starts flowing and you feel good, and then you're able to walk away is kind of a great example. I think what happens often is we eat the cookie Nothing really shoots off too much in our brains, and then we try to eat another cookie, and then still nothing happens, and it's because we need something different to help our brains get into gear than just sugar. That's where we're using food to try to help with our emotions. What we're saying is that it's important to be connected and regulated with your emotions, and also that emotional eating, it's going to happen because we're trying to achieve normal eating, and normal eating means imperfect eating. So we brought on Karen R. Koenig to help us explore the fine line even more. Let's go to our interview now so she can help all of us unpack more clearly how our eating habits are impacted when we are not in touch with our emotional state. All right, welcome to our interview today. We are interviewing Karen R. Koenig. She is an LCSW and has her master's in education. She's a psychotherapist, a popular blogger, and author of seven books on eating, weight, and body image. Her next book on self-talk and self-care will be out in 2021. Her expertise is in eating psychology, which is the how and why of eating. She's been treating and teaching dysregulated eaters for more than 30 years. She currently practices in Sarasota, Florida, and she can be found at her website, www.karenrkanig.com, and we will link all of that contact information in our show notes. Welcome to our podcast, Karen. Thank you so much for joining us. Yay! Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. Well, Tina and I both were introduced to your work when we started in our eating disorder field. I mean, some of your work is just 
the foundation of healing and helping clients learn to separate out food and feelings, which when those get mixed up is exactly how that eating disorder develops. So your work has been groundbreaking. Can you tell us a little bit about just who you are and the background of your work and what's made you passionate about helping people heal their relationships with food? Certainly. Time recovered. Chronic dieter, binge eater. I would call myself, I used to be a world-class binge eater um, and, um, you know, bounced back and forth between dieting and, and binging. I had bulimia for maybe a year and a half. Um, you know, I was working in advertising, high pressure. And um, uh, I think I was as typical of a binge eater, overeater as anybody. And um, I read the book Fat is a Feminist Issue back in the 80s. I'm 72. And um, I thought, wow, they're talking about giving up dieting and binging. That's what I'd like to do and become a normal eater. And so that became my quest. And um, I went into therapy for it, cleared up my bulimia, and then just went on to become uh, what I think of as a, a normal eater. And then um, I went back to graduate school. I got my master's at Simmons, and I worked in addictions for six years, and then started my own practice. And I still do a lot of different things, but my specialty became um dysregulated eating and I wrote my first book and then I thought well that's, that's the rules but people need more than that they need emotional stuff and each book has built on what I have noticed in my own caseload what people need and are missing. That's great yeah I mean I think back to when I first started and I still use it to this day but the one book that was extremely helpful in me becoming a dietitian is the rules of normal eating, and I I just love that book. And so, thanks for writing. Oh well, <laughs> I, you know, I, you're very welcome. I I am really fortunate that I get to do the two things I love to do in the world: um, mm -hmm. be a therapist, and I have you know I have over talking. This is how most of my sessions are, um, and yeah. writing. So I blog a lot. Um, I, it's just, you know, I'm a very fortunate person and, um, I love helping people who have dysregulated eating because I know what to do and I know how to help them get through it, even though it takes a long time. Yeah. Yeah. For people who have not read your books, if we go and start with the rules of normal eating, which is kind of a tongue in cheek title because if you read your book yeah. there really are no rules mm -hmm. that's kind of the whole point there's mm -hmm. flexibility in normal eating um what would you say is kind of the biggest takeaway of that and then also how it kind of led to the food and feelings workbook which is one that we copy and use all the time with our clients could you explain a little bit about that process for you sure um i wrote the rules because i really felt like people needed structure in order to get to just what you're saying, the lack of structure and turn into themselves right. that, but they like rules, you know, dieters love rules. So, um, or healthy eaters love rules. So there's nothing wrong with it. Um, so I wrote that um, you know, based on what I did, it, uh, it was um, 
kind of a no-brainer. It's the pieces of appetite. Now, I, a couple of things I think differentiate me from um, some of the some other eating disorders experts. One is I don't like make that the opposite, you know, which is what you want. You get ordered eating. You don't want that. So that's why I say dysregulated because mm-hmm. the opposite is regulated. So that's uh-huh. one piece. And um, okay. intuitive eating. I don't think intuitive eating is enough or mindful eating. I think they're great and key to becoming a normal eater. And people also need life skills, the right personality traits. Um, they need these other things, the ability to self-talk, to not have mixed feelings about um, getting healthy. So um, I think of it as going beyond intuitive. For sure. And I think Um, that's why in eating disorder recovery, you don't just work with a dietitian. You don't just work with a therapist. You have this collective team that is ideally working on those things so that in your recovered life, you're going, hey, wait, I do have the balance of food, but also in my therapeutic work, I have learned self-care, that regulation of emotions, the all the things that you're talking about. So I love that. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, most people, you know, they come in and first of all, they say, I want to lose weight. And I say, you're in the wrong office. Yeah. I don't do weight loss. <laughs> and then they say, uh, you know, okay, then teach me normally. Well, it's a little more complicated than, than that. Um, and that's always a big disappointment for people. Um, and that is why I wrote the Food Feelings Workbook, because, oh, you know, you say emotions, and it's like a whole other world to a lot of people. So to make them more realize that they're like our senses, that's our inner world, and to get comfortable and to know they have a function, um, and um, that I had a lot. I worked with Bruce's books on that, and I really had a lot of help from them in structuring the book, and um, you know, and doing it as a workbook. I mean, since most of our listeners here are going to be mamas, we kind of wanted to pick your brain on how moms can navigate this process. So, especially when you're thinking about the Food and Feelings Workbook. What do you think is a good first step for moms in kind of understanding how to separate their food and their feelings? What what would be your advice in that? I would go back even farther than that. I can't tell you how many clients um, that I will say to them, you can't just teach your kids what to do, whether it's about food or anything. You need to model it. Oh, well, you know, they're two, they're three, they're whatever. It's like, yeah, they're they're watching. They're little sponges. So you want your your behavior and your attitudes to be what you want to instill into your kids. So that means moms, dads, and parents, any kind of caretakers um, need to step back and say, "What's my relationship to my emotions?" Um, mm-hmm. You know, the healthiest people are reflective. I learned once in a in a class, and this was based on research, that healthy people, when you ask them an emotional question, they do this. They roll their eyes up as if they're looking into hmm. their heads for the answer. They don't hmm. immediately shut down or project it out. So um, 
think that the important thing for parents is to function on two levels, to, to, to say or do what they need to and observe what they're saying yeah. and doing. And, um, you know, maybe to write out a definition of emotions, what they want to teach their kids about them. I think people have difficulty with that, knowing yeah. what's an emotion. You know, I don't like them. They're uncomfortable. Like, yeah, you might not like a fire either, and that tells you to, you know, run away from it unless you're warming your hands. Um, yeah. But it's a really important piece of information right. in your life. Yeah. And that's something that we had talked about last episode when we talked about your food intake is that, you know, putting that face mask on first, we have to make sure that we're engaging in our self-care, fueling our bodies, and like you're saying, honoring those emotional needs and getting in touch with that so that our children and our home life or work life, whatever that looks like, can really be reciprocating that. Um, and yeah, little kids are sponges. I have a one-year-old and some of the things that he is copying me on, it's mind-blowing. And so I'm really, really, really trying to be mindful of what I'm doing in front of him and because he's picking it up. And so that, on a separate note, is me kind of locking up the swear words because he is repeating. So... <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. No, I mean, I think a lot of times us adults don't realize that we don't use emotional language when we're just talking day to day. Um, we have friends who their little girl has a lot of anxiety. And so they've been doing like a kind of a parenting coaching type of course to help her. And the key thing that they're teaching the parents is to express emotional words just more often around the house to kind of teach her that. So the husband's having to walk around being like, wow, I'm so frustrated, <laughs> but, it's, <laughs> but it's, it's great because you don't realize that, especially as a mom, like I just get angry versus me going, you know what guys, I'm feeling really scared right now, or I'm feeling worried right now. Or, and so I'm having to kind of add to my own language as well. And the other day I told my um, three-year-old no. And he goes, I so angry with you. And oh. I was like, well, he's got. <laughs> Maybe I'm doing something correct. Yeah, uh -huh. great. But yeah, I mean, that's a great point. It's like we don't realize how little we identify our emotions and then express our emotions. And if and if it's absolutely been a generational thing as well, sure. and we were raised like that, well, and now we've got this whole diet culture pressure. Well, now you've got a mix of moms who don't have the emotional language and then have this disordered relationship with their food or just are wondering how to accept their mom bod and should they diet. And it just becomes this hot mess. Yes. And to, to answer your, your question about how to separate um, feelings from food, I have a very easy chart. It's, it's, okay. it's when you have an urge for food or to eat, you ask yourself, am I hungry? If the answer is yes, am I hungry enough to eat? If the answer is yes, what do I want to eat? Back to the first question, it's a flow chart. Um, you have a thought about food. Am I, hung, uh, am I hungry? No. What am I feeling? Mm -hmm. It's just really quick. Yeah. It's simple. Yes, and simple. And yeah. if people can get used to doing that, 
know, that's the prevention step and making sure that you can separate food and feelings. Because what people say is that but it happens so fast. Um, and that's why you also want to be able to have what's called um, an observing ego. That, oh, isn't that interesting? I said that. Isn't it interesting? I yelled at the kids mm -hmm. when I was really afraid. Um, and the more you can observe yourself without judgment, which of course mm -hmm. dysregulated eaters, you know, they hate to give up the judgment piece of it. But if you can do it with curiosity, you know, you're really all set. I think the biggest thing that moms find themselves struggling with is that they are always putting themselves last. They become the ultimate caretakers and caregivers. And this happens with dads as well, not to stereotype, but just for the sake of our podcast, looking and talking to the moms that feel like they've had to put their emotional and their physical needs aside for the needs of their children and their family. So you have written a book called Nice Girls Finish Fat, another catchy title, where you talk about how girls are really socially conditioned to be nice and to have the caretaking role. So I was curious if you could kind of chat a little bit about the development of that book so we can go into that a little bit. Um, yes. And now when I talk about that book, I always preface it by saying I am a more enlightened person than I was maybe 10 years ago when I wrote it. I don't think I would, I wouldn't use the title Nice Girls Finish Fat because it makes it sound pejorative. And okay. um, I believe that people can be uh, fat and fit. And um, it's not even a word that I use much. I just use higher weight and lower weight, which is value neutral. So I apologize to people. I know more now, I would do it differently. Um, the book, what I have in the book still stands though which is um, the way I look at it is women are told, here's the crayon. This is the primary crayon you use, nice. And so we don't get to use all the other crayons. There's nothing wrong with being nice. There's nothing wrong with taking care of others. These are wonderful traits, but not to do all the time, which is kind of like eating. You know, eating is a great thing to do. It nourishes us. It brings pleasure. You want to have other things in your life. So I encourage um, moms especially, but all women, to use some of the other crayons in the box. Test it out. It may feel unfamiliar and weird. That's okay. Um, and the main characteristics of nice girls, they are other-oriented. They are people-pleasing, um, approval seekers, very often codependent, you know, Everything's based on someone else's needs, not their own. Um, generally have low self-esteem, all or nothing thinking. Um, there are others, but those are, oh, perfectionism. How could I forget mm -hmm. perfectionism? And um, none of those are healthy skills. So even if you didn't have eating problems, even if you didn't want to, teach your children how to be mentally healthy, you'd still for yourself want to get rid of those qualities and become um, more inner-centered, balanced self-care. I care for self and other, Not it's not an or. Um, good enough, let go of the perfectionism. 
um, graded nuanced thinking instead of all or nothing. Um, I mean, because those are just traits of dysregulated eaters, but they're traits of many people anyway. So people do very well when they work on those and change those. In your, I love the way you just described the characteristics there. Um, I think in your book, you said nice, the definition of nice is nice equals good, pleasing, agreeable, caring, kind, and thoughtful, which is nice. I mean, those are all lovely, lovely qualities. But to your point, there's not assertiveness, there's not opinionated, there's not boundaries in that. So I'm curious, just again, for the sake of our mom listeners, how do you see nice girls becoming nice moms and then losing their voice, which could then affect the relationship with food? I, I think I, if you're saying a mom, being a mom brings it out in people. Is, it, is that what you're saying? Well, or if it was never addressed as a child and they were socially conditioned to be a nice girl, now they've grown into this mom who's already kind of putting herself last naturally just because that's unfortunately you know, how it happens but now you've got this yeah. this character quality of overly nice and overly caretaking and and not have developed those flip sides of personality mm-hmm. and i'm just curious if you've worked with moms or if you see moms who that really lends itself to a dysregulated relationship with food the the worst there are two uh, well, I'll talk about the food thing in a minute, but I think two two of the major problems are back to the idea of kids watching you, and when they see you doing things one way and saying to do them another way, they get mixed feelings and they get very confused, and because they're getting a double message. I had a friend who I, I used to take care of her toddler, and um, one day I was driving her somewhere, and you know, in her little car seat. And, and she said, how come mom doesn't wear a seatbelt? Really interesting. How to explain to someone, well, she has low self-esteem. She doesn't love you as much. Um, you know, and it's true. Mom did, and she was depressed, and she finally got help for it. But that stuck with me for a long time. So, you know, if you do that with food and you say, do this to a child, but don't do that. But, you know, I'm doing something different. That really messes them up. Um, kids being uh, confused, particularly with food, because we can't not eat. So, you know, this is just part of the training. What is it like to say no to yourself? I, you know, I've said to some of the moms, oh, they look so unhappy when I say no. What's the yes and no? What are they going to get out of it? Frame it that way. Um, You know, to say, Remember when you ate, when you finished all that and you had a tummy ache? Today, you're not going to have a tummy ache. Um, so I, I think it's really important for um, parents to find that balance in themselves as well and know what's enough. I just find that dysregulated eaters in many walks of life do not know when enough is enough. It's when it's done, when it's over, when it's perfect. And um, so important to learn in life. I mean, I had one perfectionist parent, and he used to tell me, um, and I loved him dearly, taught me a lot, but good, better, best, never let it rest till the good is better and the better is the best. I can tell you, not a great way to go through life. Um, So I had to unlearn that, and I am now the queen of 
well, that's good enough. But it took me years. And for people to feel okay, to mom, for moms to feel okay doing that. I think there's such pressure on them to do it all and do it perfectly. Um, that to have that sense in themselves, and if they don't have it in themselves if, with eating, they often don't have it. So that's where really good therapy comes in, for them to learn that. If people ha are self-dysregulated with food, either they're going to be that way across the board with everything, they'll procrastinating or they'll, you know, I'll call them to you're supposed to be here. Oh, I forgot about my appointment. I was just in the middle of doing this and it felt so good. So they don't have rules or they're going to be the opposite. Rules everywhere, tight, tight, tight. And food's the only place where they can go unconscious and let go. So it is more than just a trait that has to do with food. So what clients will say to me, well, should I come back next week? And I'll say, I don't know, what do you think? How long? You know, and I'll say to them, I'm teaching you self-regulation. I can't tell you. Do you need to come back next week or can you wait too? Let's experiment. And then they understand that this is the same thing with food. No one can tell them how much they need. They're going to have to figure that out. Um, so it's, it's an across-the-board message that parents need to teach and model. Yeah, I, I noticed in one of your chapters where you talked about moms being caretakers, you kind of highlighted that often it's hard for moms to actually start taking care of themselves and introducing that self-regulation because they're more comfortable being a caregiver than being taken care of. And so it's hard to then learn how to take care of themselves because that's uncomfortable. Um, or they kind of allow themselves to be distracted taking care of other people, again, because it's easier to be distracted than slow down and put the focus on themselves. Well, and I, I think that's very true. And to add to that, I would say two things happen. Um, people often give people what they want. People come in and say, well, I was so nice to her. I drove her everywhere and I did this and I did that, you know, with a friend. I mean, it's their that that's their nature until they're you know sometimes told to to uh to give back um yeah i think that's really interesting when i think about my mom friends and i even just do a self-inventory you know realizing again how much our personality just translate in, into all different areas and you know those of us who are perfectionists tend to like the rules of food more those of us who are more fly by the seat of our pants tend just to fly by the seat of whatever in the fridge and not really think about it. And so finding that balance between just in everything in life and all areas of life is really important, especially when you're looking at, you know, body acceptance, fueling your body so you can keep up with your kids and then modeling that good behavior. And I tend to be the perfectionist, but when I'm with my kids, I tend to be a little bit more of the caregiver to a fault. And, you know, recently I've noticed that I'm plating all of us, we're sitting down for dinner and then I'm hopping up and down from the table five, six, seven times to grab the ketchup, to grab the water, to grab the whatever. And then I've I noticed also in a pattern of me yelling at my kids to sit back down. I'm like, why do they keep getting up? Like you haven't finished your eating food. 
like sit down. And then I'm going, well, now I'm, now I'm not discussing intuitive eating with them because I'm telling them to finish their food. And all of a sudden I realized, oh, wait, it's because I'm not sitting. Like I'm not sitting and eating my food and having that space of going, this is also my time to fuel myself. And I'm going to be intuitive and mindful about what's on my plate. And then they can sit down and relax and do it too. So all of a sudden I really noticed that, that my energy and my modeling was literally having them mimic that. And so I, I don't know, I've, I've been doing some work myself on that. I wanted to ask then, did you, do you then take it a step farther and tell them that? And apologize oh, that you're not modeling okay. what you want from them and say to them, this could be confusing to you. I'm telling you to do this, but I'm doing that. What do you make of it? That's a good idea. I will do that. It is. I mean, it's taking ownership and being vulnerable and be like, hey, like, we're human too. I'm sorry that this is what you're seeing. I'm working on it, you know? And I think of myself were like my little ones only a year and I only have one. And so this is a whole new world for me of like having someone constantly around watching me. I'm barely, I'm barely ever alone, you know? So for those mamas listening to this and being like, man, this all sounds really hard and I'm struggling. Like, yeah, it's hard. Like being a new parent, our entire lives have changed forever. So it's hard and just keep working at it and have that awareness. It, it just takes time, you know, and that's okay. If parents very often not only give kids what they didn't get, but that's how they manage that feeling. So they, uh, a friend last night, we were at dinner and she was telling me about the schedule of her granddaughter almost fell over and and my friend is also a therapist, retired therapist, and, and, and just kind of shook her head like, you know, this poor kid. Um, but it's that mom does this, and mom is a dysregulated eater, and so is, is the daughter. It's this sort of um, franticness that, that moms and dads pour into their kids because they don't feel good. The other thing that comes up, this happened to another friend of mine who is also a therapist, who had been abused as a kid, he resented all the good stuff he did to his kid. I mean, he was in therapy, but he'd say, I didn't get that. And I have a client who'll say that. I really feel like it, I want to do that for my children, but it's not fair, I didn't get that. It's like, okay, that's your old issue, resolve that, because your kid cannot resolve this for you. So a lot of stuff comes up, um, whether it's with food or anything else. That's interesting. Do you see do you see people being driven to the fridge or the pantry or even the gym as they are not in touch with a lot of these unprocessed feelings or or personality traits? Do you see a direct correlation between the the next thing you know they're standing in front of the pantry because they've said fine 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 all day? And then all of a sudden they're like, it's my time. And now I'm, and that translates, right. it's my time to eat or they caretake them. What about me? Okay. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I don't think, I think you, you know that they're not in touch with it, but they feel that. And, um, you know, we can't get in the present what we didn't get in the past. It just doesn't work like that. 
Yeah, I've worked with a couple moms who really struggle with binge eating or emotional eating or just snacking nonstop during nap time because it's like they've been going, going, going. They finally put the kids down and now all they know is like the house is quiet. It's my time and it becomes a, a relationship and dynamic with food. And these are moms who have had eating disorders in the past. This is just kind of, oh, interesting. Turns out the only way I know how to nourish myself is through my mouth and learning what it looks like to set those boundaries throughout the day and carve out that time for themselves throughout the day. So the pantry becomes the source of fuel and they get it elsewhere. And comfort. And, and it becomes comfort. Um, uh, in uh, that, I think the Food and Feelings Workbook is helpful there because, um, you know, what is it somebody really wants at that point? I, you know, what I say to, to clients all the time is, okay, there you are, put, you know, the baby down for a nap and feel something. What is it that you need? If there were no such thing as food, what would you do? Well, they'll say, well, I can't take a walk because I can't leave the house. Okay, what else would you do? Or I'll say, if I paid you a million dollars, would you find something to do other than eat? And they'll go, of course, 500,000, you know, and I work it down. and. Um, most of the time, people would find something else to do. Um, it's, it is a little more effort to do that. Um, but it, yeah, it doesn't work for eating and it doesn't work for feeling if you're doing the wrong thing. And I, I think from my dietitian brain, I go to the fact of like, and then we have these mamas who actually aren't eating regularly throughout the day, who aren't taking the time to nourish themselves, and then going into that nap time, quiet time, needing actually a coping skill, and and then their brain isn't being fueled. So it's like they they don't even have the quote unquote option because their brain is so starved. Um, and so biologically they're driven to get the comfort through food and the nourishment through food. So in hearing all this, it's like, we have to make sure that we're eating throughout the day so that we could even practice the things that you guys are talking about. For, for sure. Um, and I, you know, if, if people are trying to take off, um, the, you know, baby weight or the fact that before they had a child, they were going to the gym three times a week and playing racquetball and do, this is a change that it just, it's really just problem solving. Okay, I'm in a new situation. How am I gonna get my needs met? And rethinking it and coming up with effective solutions. For sure. And I think that's where I was saying before, like for new moms, our entire lives are different. and. Like for me before I was a part of a running club that I loved. That was a huge social outlet. That was a major coping skill and was also movement for me. Well, unfortunately that has been set aside. I can't do it anymore because it's at 6 a.m. or at 6.30 p.m. And I'm sorry, but I want my child to sleep and I'm not waking him up and I'm not interrupting bedtime. So I have to figure out a different way. And I love that you say it's problem solving. It isn't the end of the world. Am I bummed that I can't be a part of that group? Yeah, 
but it is problem solving of being like, well, then I need to figure out a different outlet. I need to figure out a different form of movement and self-care. So I need to problem solve something else. So, And I think rather than people just don't seem to take it to that next level. Um, and I also think that there's something I see a lot um, with moms. I Like I have a couple... Uh, clients who you know have you know like they're single parents with three teenagers and um that people when they're busy they call it stress and i'm not saying they don't have a lot to do when they're uncertain they call it stressed so or anxiety so it kind of builds up as opposed to okay i'm busy how will i take time out how will i relax how will i not make busy feel stressed. Um, you know, we love to talk about stress in society. And I, you know, I, I'm probably guilty of it too. Um, except I don't say stressed. I just say I'm so busy. Um, so I, I think that, that that's, that's a cultural change. Um, and um, I, don't, I don't know if men are give it, going to give it up, but it would be really nice if women found a different word to use that didn't up their anxiety yeah i think it when i think about that i think of many times when clients come in and go they're confused between those signals of going well i'm hungry all the time or i'm full all the time but really they can't that's just the umbrella they can't distinguish whether like oh well hunger feels like that but really it's that you have that you're sad or that you're lonely and that that feels like hunger or you feel full and that's because you're anxious or busy or overwhelmed or whatever and and those blanket feelings are coming in and so this is what we're talking about how to really separate that um and instead of feeling stressed in your in your angle it's like oh but stress actually does mean busy or overwhelmed or whatever and then my nutrition brain goes, oh, but these people are feeling hungry and full, and it's not actually hungry or full. As you know, dysregulated eaters are so hard on themselves. So I go out of my way when I make a mistake to laugh at it, be curious about it, not be judgmental, um, model this behavior. And I do that so that they'll pick it up. And, I, and that's what I wish that moms who are dysregulated eaters or dysregulated, period, and too nice would do. Um, just enjoy their imperfection and model it. Go out of their way. I mean, I, I have a client twice. I have this great um, swivel chair, therapy chair that I sit in, and twice it's broken while he's here. So, like, one minute I'm sitting here, and the next time, you know, I'm not that far away from the floor to begin with. I'll just laugh. You would never think of laughing at something he did wrong. And I just think that that's so important. Just be imperfect and love yourself anyway and tell the world. I think this is all really helpful information for moms to consider how to put the oxygen mask on first, how to heal their relationship with food so they can model a good relationship with food and how to be mindful about how their personality and their caretaking traits 
then either lead them to the pantry or lead them away from the pantry and they just need a more balanced relationship with the pantry regardless of how crazy their lives are and how chaotic their kids are yes and i i would also say it's the whole process of healing that they want to show their kids you know not just hey i'm healed it's um gee i struggled with this or I'm really proud of what I did and focusing on the positive rather than the negative because what I find, you know, a lot of moms walk around feeling terrible about the things they didn't do well. You know, I was a bad mom as opposed to all the wonderful things that they're doing. And this transmits to the child too, as opposed to saying, I'm a fully rounded person. I'm going to try to do better and I'm still not going to be perfect and that's okay. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much, Karen. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us and to spread your wisdom to us and the listeners. And so I shared your website. Are there any other places that people can find you? Um, no, the one thing I wanted to say about my website is um, people can sign up for my blogs. I blog three times a week and they can just sign up. So they'll come right to their inbox. It makes it easy. And I have a normal eating Facebook page um, where I post articles and sometimes people post comments. So it's a good place to kind of learn. Um, I might post something about nutrition or something not direct, nothing I would blog about necessarily, but something else. Um, so I think that that's important for them also. And to look out for my new book, which comes out in January uh, 2021. Thank you. And thank you for the work that you're both doing with, um, with moms and eating. I just, I, I think it's so important. And I'm glad you're out there doing it. Well, thank you so much to Karen and for joining us today. We hope that this has left you with a lot of things to think about as far as your relationship with food and your personality and how all of this relates. Our takeaway question for you is, what do you need to work on in order to have a better relationship with food so that you can model boundaries and healthy forms of caregiving and just being an overall balanced eater and balanced caretaker for your children? Thank you so much. Please join us next time. And you can always connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Thank you. This episode of Mom Jeans was produced and edited by Rachel Coleman and Tina LaBoy. Just a reminder, this episode is not a substitute for therapeutic counsel or nutrition advice. Thank you to Jerry DePizzo for the music production. You can find episode information and show notes at www.momjeansthepodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at momjeansthepodcast and join the Mom Jeans the Podcast Facebook group to find a community of mamas learning to love their bodies and discussing the episodes. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mom Jeans. See you next time.